a vision, right, where you have good housing close to, mat, to, to some sort of convenient transportation and facilities that don't require you to jump in your car and drive two miles to get to a, a big parking lot. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local area, Franklin Mass FM dial at 102.9. Here for another session of Making Sense of Climate, my guide, our local Franklin resident expert, Ted McIntyre. Ted, how are you doing this day? Great, Steve. Great to be here. Um, Yes, it's wonderful. A beautiful fall day outside. Yes. And yet the challenges are all around us, especially on the climate front. Hey. Yeah, yeah. There's there's tons and tons and tons of stuff going on. Uh, I think a interesting place to begin is in everybody's wallet or pocketbook, right? Mm, and, here and in Franklin money. and Mass. In here particular. in Franklin and Massachusetts and uh, their pocketbooks and how it relates to the roadmap and all kinds of interesting connections about stuff. So let me try and set it up. And Absolutely. we can uh, yep. talk talk it through. Where, where to begin? Uh, oh, last spring, our friend Mr. Putin decided to invade Ukraine, right? And subsequently, there's been everyone's followed the ups and downs of the Ukraine Ukrainian thing. In fact, you may know that I guess recently, two explosions blew up what is called the Nord Stream gas pipeline that crosses the Baltic Ocean from Russia into Germany, right? And so one of the things is that Russia has been providing Germany with natural gas, methane, let's say, let's stick with methane, methane mm-hmm. to heat, heat their, run their economy. Uh, and now Europe is under stress for having enough methane gas to run everything through this coming winter, right? It's cooler out here and even in Franklin. Okay. The other thing is that methane gas is a global commodity, right? It goes around on ships. There's like like 99.5% of what is produced is already used, already committed, right? So there's Mm -hmm. no room. There's no elasticity. There's no extra space. Very little elasticity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great word if you don't know any economics, right? But it means like this, everything's being used. Uh, Every, what, what has happened is the following. Here in Massachusetts, there are, there are two major providers of electricity, okay? So now I switch from methane to electricity. Two major providers of electricity here in the Franklin area. Um, I'm going to make sure it's National Grid gives us our electricity. Okay? Right. Up yep. north of Boston, it's Eversource, but down this part, of, generally speaking, down here, National Grid. In Massachusetts, every six months, the people who provide you the electricity have to forecast a cost for that electricity, what they want to charge people for the next six months. Well, because for the last 20 years, New England has moved from oil to make electricity to cheap, relatively cheap methane from Pennsylvania, right? All of our, most of our electricity, 58% of our electricity is generated from natural gas. Right. Mr. Putin has screwed everything up. 
right? The price of that natural, of that methane gas to make electricity is going up, 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 up. As a consequence, National Grid has projected effectively a doubling of price of electricity starting November 1st. And quite likely, the people north of Boston who are on a two-month delay schedule sometime in November, they will also propose a dramatic increase in the price of electricity, which, of course, goes right to everyone's soft spot, right? Sure. All of a sudden, you're writing a bigger bill for your electricity, which then causes uh, pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. And certainly people who are on a fixed income, right, they get hit hard. So that's in the works. And it begs begs discussion because, it, of course, it's a climate issue, right? And burning methane to make electricity is, a, is the biggest climate issue. And it raises a whole raft of other issues about how do we put prices on these things, you know, different areas. What are we doing to get out of this jam? Let me just say, you know, this is not a suspense novel. I mean, if, and I'm not ruining something that we should have done, but clearly this is added evidence that the wind and the sun come for free. Mr. Putin cannot turn that spigot on and off. If we were powered by wind and solar, plus battery storage, yada, 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 we would be in a much more stable place. The price wouldn't vary. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, just saying people should look at this circumstance where the, the industry can double the electricity rate, that double the cost of electricity on a moment's notice because of, uh, of this and say, wait a minute, how come, National Grid has such power and authority and can do these things, right? Because they're just, they ultimately are making money about, on this. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, a whole bunch of, whole bunch of questions come up. Um, and of course, all of this drains back down because here in Franklin, we are in the National Grid territory, right? Yep. And what we, I guess, what I think people need to know is at least to have a way to think about what's happening and put it into a context that's bigger than uh, I'm getting screwed again, right? I'm, I'm bad things. I got to pay more money, right? You begin to learn about what are the influences, what could be done differently. And I hope people become more sympathetic to the things that have to be done differently. That is to say, back to wind, solar, green electricity, reform of how we distribute that electricity, all these things. So it's a very interesting circumstance. Absolutely. So does, that, does that make sense? I mean, uh, to is that a reasonable explanation of where we are today? Yeah. And even for those specifically in Franklin who are already part of the municipal aggregation deal that the town established in 2020, while we dodge the bullet, so to speak, because that price increase does not affect us um, future price increases and in our card contract per conversation with Jamie Helen is good through, I think it's October, November of 2023. Um, and what the price is going to be after that clearly will possibly go up. Um, but I would hope that it would still be less than other relative prices out there, given what, the way we're doing our municipal agreement. Um, that's the whole concept we're buying in bulk um, on behalf of the town. So to a quick reminder for the residents, clearly anybody in 2020 when municipal aggregation came in, you needed to opt out. And ideally, there were at least two cases that I know of. Those who already had solar or a solar contract, obviously you didn't need it. 
that was okay. Um, and those who uh, already had a contract, whether solar or not, that they couldn't get out of, then you can't make a deal at that time. But the other interesting piece is Franklin's a dynamic community as well. Now we're further along from 2020, new people coming into Franklin, are they automatically part of the municipal aggregation or do they need to do something specifically? Um, so to the extent that now is a good time, <laughs> the rates will be coming up in November. And even uh, Jamie said, even if the state a la attorney general doesn't give them all that they've requested, certainly it's going to be more than what they got currently, right. which is still more than what we're paying uh, through the municipal aggregation. So, and, and just, just the, the just to remind you, the municipal aggregation is this technique where a town like Franklin can basically make the bulk purchase agreements of the electricity proper. Right. In other words, it's, this, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that the your the bill that you're paying for includes the generation of electricity and the transmission of electricity. And yeah. so the town can go out and buy the electricity from whoever they want, have it routed in. And that's the the and, and the aggregation of the town allows you to buy in bulk. So you Correct. get a good deal. And if you're smart about it, you can also make that electricity green, which Franklin has uh, has done. We can mm -hmm. talk about a little bit more about that. But right. Franklin's getting cheap green electricity now to the wisdom of the people who brought us community aggregation. And it's inter I mean, and so that's what community aggregation means. And what I think you're saying is that people have moved in late lately. I'm going to say this. Or more the, recently. The, the nudge in, right, is a topic I've heard discussed in climate circles as yeah. Because most people are just on inertial guidance. They don't think, they don't want to think about stuff, right? Right. It's like, it's like when you get a, when you take a new job, right, you have to actively go out and sign up for the IRA, the, right, the, uh, your, your 401k, right? Sure. You have to, yeah. you have to actively choose that. And most people, uh, you know, if you're 22, you say, forget it, you know, I'm not going right. to retire for a while. Mm -hmm. that, what's different, what you could do is you could say the default is to be included in the uh, 401k. And then it's happening, you don't have to think about it, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a societal choice. Here in Franklin, the, the, the nudge in, you defaulted into the program, right? Which is at a the conversion thing. date. At the conversion date, right? Yep. Blah, blah, yep. blah. But you are automatically in. And how people come in afterwards probably have to be more active, right? Correct. In getting, making sure they've got this opportunity. Yeah. So, and people can always check because I think, and you mentioned it as well, our electric bill and most energy bills, although I only have electric, uh, it, it, it breaks out the costs in two factors. So you get the supply cost and you got the distribution cost. So the supply line, which is the second part of the bill, uh, reflects our 10.7 cents kilowatt hour via Dyne Energy, I think is the company name and it's wind power. Versus mm -hmm. the distribution cost, which is the top part of the bill, at least from National Grid, and that outlines all the, you know, getting the electricity from whatever transformers through to all the wires plugs. and poles and <laughs> all stuff, all the yeah. plugs in the house, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. people can I, check. I, um, we'll include links in the show notes as well for the municipal aggregation page on the town page, which has information, so that for those who came in after. You can certainly find out all the info as to what municipal aggregation does, 
um, with with Jamie in the conversation. It came up because some some people, you know, would rather go to Costco uh, or BJ's to buy on the bulk. I said, well, yeah, that's a good thing. But remember that when you go to Costco and BJ's, you're already getting the cost benefit because you have paid for the membership. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay for the membership in municipal aggregation. You just have to be a Franklin resident. And it's free to get aggregation with the two caveats. If you've already got a solar thing on your house or you got a a deal that gives you something with a contract you can't get out of, then obviously under those circumstances, you don't get it. But for anybody else. So... one of the from a climate perspective the climate hawk perspective the question becomes what to think about a doubling of your electricity rate in the context of everything that's going on Hmm. okay and from my my perspective what is driving the doubling of the rate is fluctuations in the price of the methane that's being used to generate the electricity. Supply and demand. Supply and demand, right? And that basic economic change. Well, there's two things that that drive the prices for electricity and, you know, and the methane is the availability of the methane, which of course, as I said, Putin has cut down and the pipelines that bring the methane into the state of Massachusetts. Because remember, there's no fracking wells in Massachusetts. We are fortunate enough or unfortunate enough not to have anything like that here. So mm-hmm. we have to bring everything in. Right. And the variabilities are and this is so this is where the gas industry that is driving all this is what they they're going to talk about uh, with the, how we need more pipelines in order to protect ourselves from these variations, right? And you just, if you heat your home with gas, that's likely to go up too, right? Because Mm -hmm. the gas is, there's competition for the methane to make electricity and to heat your home. But I mean, the, the dependence of the grid on methane, which to my mind is caused by the profit motive of the uh, of the utilities right they like to sell you gas right mm-hmm. and they and there's an old saying about it when all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail right, right. i yeah. mean the they want to use gas to solve everything whereas whereas the massachusetts roadmap is calling for increased amounts of renewable electricity and the solar virtue of the renewable solar and wind, yes, in right. particular. Yeah. And as we keep saying over and over again, those things are, uh, <laughs> once you've bought the wind turbine, the wind comes for free. Right. right. So all you have is a mortgage, absolutely stable prices, right? And that's the direction that we should be headed. And my concern is that we're going to see a lot of screaming and uh, rending of, of vests over the next six months from the gas industry that wants more pipelines and try and scare people cold in the dark. Yeah, and we've talked about that with um, the ISO New England and their development of uh, the plan and excluding. And at one point, I believe we discussed where they didn't allow wind power because it was too cheap (laughs) to come into our supply stream based upon the rules that they had already set up. And it was like, okay, well, change the rules, guys. I mean, you know, (laughs) 
But I mean, they've yeah. got the financial incentives, which we've covered in prior episodes. So we don't need to dwell on it here, but they do have the incentives currently to continue to foster that as opposed to making the changes. Right. But I, so I guess what I'm submitting is that when you see this screaming headline in the paper mm-hmm. right, that, that will scare you because all your prices are going to go up, just think, I mean, it's not because we're looking at renewables, it's because of uh, uh, the the construction and the functioning of our existing grid, which is something that we can change, right? And talk about yeah. system yeah. change instead of climate change. Yeah. <laughs> and I think even there was another article related to this where some of the media have started looking at, okay, so mass electric uh, national grid, Eversource, et cetera, started saying, so what are the other states doing similarly? And while they're all going up, they're all up on different schedules and by different amounts. And we actually have a grid that is interconnected. So it also begs the question, well, who controls that? Well, it goes back to ISA New England, which actually manages that um, but it also revealed to me in terms of a podcast that I listened to that one of the other items in this side deal, which we've mentioned with the mansion piece, um, FERC would get and Federal Energy Resource Regulatory Committee, Committee Re- Regulatory Commission Committee would actually get part of their scope would be that level of interstate commerce would be part of their regulation, which had not been up until uh, this passage, assuming it passes at some point, right. um, which I found interesting. And I know we can dwell on it for a couple of reasons here. Right. No, I mean, that the whole, what it brings up are questions about what is the structure of the grid? How is the, how are the costs allocated? Is it fair? It does seem strange that, you know, if, if you're driving down I-95 and you go from Massachusetts into Rhode Island, all of a sudden the cost of electricity changes, even though all the wires just go back and forth and it's one integrated system, right? Mm. Is yeah. that good, bad? I mean, why are those things? It, it, I mean, I can't say, but it, it certainly is a worthwhile discussion in the idea that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, uh, FERC, would begin to look at these um issues of transmissions, even between regions, I think is what, so ISO New England, right? So there's ISO New England, then there's ISO New York, which is big enough to be its own sort of entity, right? How do we, how do we trade power back and forth between those? And if there was a transmission line that crossed that from New York into Massachusetts, you know, who owns that? Mm -hmm. And and what I read, because I read somewhere how the, the, there's a lot of these transmission lines that are in queue now to bring power from one place to the other. And this sure. rewinds back to the mansion permitting thing. But a lot of them are held up because the companies can't figure out who's going to pay for it. Yeah. Right? It's this thing where there's a lot of financial entities involved, mm-hmm. right? All of them want, don't want to leave money on the table or get, right. you know, pay too much. And, and so that slows things down while they debate about stuff. Right. And it, at some level, you can say, gee, the federal government should step in and say, by jingo, you know, none of this, you, you guys don't get to argue about the profit motive anymore. We need to build this. The federal government's going to own it. We'll talk to you later. Right. I mean, that's somewhat utopian, but you can cut the Gordian knot by being more, uh, more planning well, in, a, in a in a sense making sense 
place. Um, the term I believe is somewhat used is some, not somewhat is used as you know according to the benefit received, right? So it's the benefit payer. So if you have, as an example, we're making it up for this conversation, you've got a, a line crossing two states. Well, which state is going to benefit? So if there's a 60-40 relationship, then the beneficiaries should pay on a 60-40 rate, as opposed to, to your point, continuing to just go back and forth. No, I want you to pay 70. I want you, right. I'm only going to pay 20. Da, 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 da. What's the benefit to the both parties or multiple parties? And then assign the benefit and the proportion thereof. Right. That right. at least is something that has already been working in different places and would now be applied to this. So to me, that sounds good. I'm sure there's a different story to that from somebody's, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think this is, from my perspective, I regard this as progress in terms of the discussion that we have to have. Right? It's less about the global warming exists, and now we're into questions about what, what are the concrete things that we can do, right? Mm -hmm. And we're recognizing that, I th again, I, just to, we've talked about this stuff in the past, but sort of national planning of how we're going to get electricity from one place to another is required. And I think there's some movement of that in the Inflation Reduction Act, where FERC begins to think about a national plan, but it needs to, that stuff needs to be strengthened. And it is something just to be aware of that this is in the zeitgeist out there. I mean, how do we do these national things? Yeah. Yeah. And we had touched on that prior, especially in regards to the the main transmission coming down, bringing the water power from Quebec in through to Mass. So assuming that does happen and our wind power develops, then that theoretically can give us more. But the work still is required to be done either way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And going back to that other podcast that I mentioned, uh, Ezra Klein, who's a noted New York Times uh, journalist, has a regular podcast and he caught up with uh Jesse Jenkins, who's from Princeton, uh uh Net Zero Group. He's done a couple of projects there. They went for I think it was an hour and 45 minutes. It's a long one. It's far longer than we've done. <laughs> well, and, and Jesse Jenkins and people at Princeton. So it's a you know academic exercise, but they are planning looking to see what does it take to build this now this is sort of an academic exercise of planning the grid mm -hmm. where would the power lines have to go how much how many solar panels do you really truly need can you really do it and they keep coming to this conclusion that it's entirely possible for us to do it if we have our head in the right place and right. that's the the net but that's the academic side of the study to say, you know, what does it take to get us mm -hmm. down the road, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Because even going back to whether it's the uh, reduction plan or our own local climate plan, just because it's been signed doesn't necessarily mean the things will happen. People still have to make that work. And that is a lot of work still for things to happen by 2030, which is not that far away, right? <laughs> So, you know, so the tell me go ahead, the, 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 you started to make reference to the Jesse Jenkins podcast and uh, articles and what were the, I think you were headed for the disclaimers they were putting in front of their. Uh, yeah, I was going to come the, to the disclaimers later, but just in terms of the, the things that struck me is how much work is that still okay. to be done 
before we get to 2030. All right, you know, new pipelines, new transmission lines, et cetera. So he quotes, and I'll paraphrase the quote, um, the electric grid, where we are today, it took 140 years to get there. We need to double the electric grid. And oh, by the way, double it before 2030. That's a lot of work. And then the, the we there was certainly discussion about the footprint of the wind farms. And we've seen them along the sands, I mean, along the lands, et cetera. And now they're certainly going to be proposed offshore. The wind farms that required for the U.S., the most effective, most cost effective of our net zero scenario spans an area that's equal to Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee put together. And the solar farms are from an area the size of Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Mass. It's like, whoa, there's there's a lot there. Are they saying that the Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, that land area needs to be tied up in solar panels? Solar panels to power the U.S., and the spread of, excuse me, wind power, wind power, wind turbines, and the area of those three states would be the wind power itself. But the wind power, because you can't put the towers next to each other, you've got to spread them out. That would be over that other list of states. So Illinois, Indiana, right. Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee put together. There's a lot of space. Now, it's an academic exercise. Are all their I's dotted and T's crossed appropriately? That's where other academics are going to, and other scientists, I'm sure, are going to go through and say, oh, that number's wrong, this number's right. But the whole point of it is simply, it's a staggering amount of work, and it needs to start today. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it said that, that you know, you don't need, there's so much work, to, so much clean energy that we need to generate is like just start building don't worry about 2050 don't worry about anything right. just build as much right. as you can as fast yeah. as you can yeah. and you won't be able to keep up right that's yeah. Uh, uh yeah and he, he they do say it is possible uh the required additions in the skull on the solar capacity is effectively 38 to 67 gigawatts of solar power a year so you average it out, you know, it's like going to be 25 gigawatts per year. We have achieved 25 gigawatts in a year. So it is possible. But obviously, then it gets required that political will, the environmental will, the people, the companies, it's certainly not going to happen because somebody passed a bill and snaps their fingers. <laughs> There's a whole lot of work that has to make that happen. Meaning there's room for everyone listening or who cares to put their, it's like, you don't have to join the, you don't have to be a wind turbine repair guy, right? You just have to be politically supportive and, and favor these policies that will do the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, we've touched on it before. I mean, like the economic, growth opportunity the jobs that are available that aren't going to go to china right are right. huge in all of this so. all the installation all the maintenance all the conversions because once i mean we're talking creation of the power whether wind or solar but then there's aspects and we've touched in other as in other episodes where 
well, that still has to get to the the residential buildings and then conversion to heat pumps or whatever has to get into the uh, office buildings and convert them. There's an awful lot of work that needs to be done and there's going to be opportunity for those. Um, and we talked with Jeff Roy and we'll have him back again at some point. Um, part of the deal, at least from a mass level was to incent and create funds for the training and the, all that kind of stuff um, right. so that that could happen. So, right. yeah, right. it's possible. It's just going to start. So I'm back to the question of what is the thing that's preventing forward progress? What gets in our way? I would volunteer that the, the things that are currently in our way are entrenched interests. Yes. Like... I can't. I mean, you, you sound like a broken record, right? Broadly. You keep coming back to the same things, but right. this is this is the battle, right? Mm -hmm. It's the the people in the fossil fuel industry are making money, and they don't care about this stuff, right? It just it's just, just throwing a side fact. It's like humans have emitted since 1990 as much carbon dioxide as was emitted from the time of James Watt's first steam engine up to 1990, right? So the destruction that we're doing to the planet, we know about, right? We know, and like in the last 30 years, we have put out an enormous amount. So it's not like some long historical thing that happened in 1900. Right. It's us, right? And it's these same people that do not want to change. So they, I mean, they, the fossil fuel guys get in the way of all this work and uh, try basically to scare people into, mm -hmm. Which, of course, then goes off into politics. I mean, it's like it's exhausting to even think about. But I, yeah, well, then I mean, at some point we have to recognize that, oh, by the way, it's coming. <laughs> and all we have to do is look at any number of the headlines. What is it, Ian and oh Fiona? I mean, at some point we've been missing some of those hurricanes so far, knock on woods. But knock on wood. those well, but storms are getting more and more powerful every time they come through. I think that's an interesting point. I mean, Puerto Rico is in the Caribbean, that's obviously, right? It just got slammed by Hurricane Fiona. All the power's out. Okay, you say, how can, oh, what a tragedy. There's no electricity right. on Puerto was Rico. Was it Ian or was it Fiona? Fiona, I'm sorry. Fiona hit it, right? And power goes out. These are American citizens, believe it or not, if you don't know that, they're American right. citizens from yeah. a, a law in 1900. But the, the power grid after Hurricane Maria, when uh, the former guy went down through to, uh, tissue paper at them, right? Yeah. Hand towels at them. Nothing happened, right? It, and, and you can go in, there's a political thing there with like Puerto Rico as a commonwealth, essentially a colony, is a cash cow now for Wall Street where all this in, in the the grid is so privatized there that no no solar panels, no wind turbines, they're back to st still running diesel oil with rickety lines that go over the mountains to power the whole island. And when the, when the storm hits, the whole island's out. But that's sort of this case in point of the political resistance of the people that are making money off your suffering, right? Mm -hmm. The guys who made money for the last five years rebuilding the grid, they don't care if your power's out for three weeks, right? Boom, you know, they'll turn the diesel on when they get some more gas, diesel and give you maybe rebuild and then you'll get 
as opposed to the idea, and this, this is me talking, it's like the U.S. federal government should take Puerto Rico as a test lab of resilience, distributed generation, and go in there and put solar panels everywhere, wind turbine, make that island completely bulletproof to hurricanes, which you could mm -hmm. do. Right. If everyone has solar panels on their roof, then you're less likely to all be out of power. Right. And again, it's like, and I know that there's challenges to that, but there's challenges to a lot of stuff. And the idea that everything is subservient to the profit motives of the utility is just a bad place for us to be. So anyway, they, I mean, Fiona, and then of course, Fiona, after it visited Puerto Rico, took a bullseye on Halifax, Nova Scotia, which if you don't know your geography very well, is in Canada, right? And the idea- That's a long that, ways away. Long ways, the idea that a hurricane would survive and get up to Canada with the intensity that this thing did is, I mean, that's a little nugget that says, yeah, climate <laughs> change is real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that stuff yeah. doesn't happen in a no. normal, quote unquote, no. normal world, no. right? No, it set a record when it touched land as being the lowest, lowest bar, bar readings ever to, to have for a storm to touch Canada. And I think there was a uh, Noah or somebody had shown a chart of just offshore in the center, 63 foot waves. That was a big. That was a big. <laughs> that was yeah. a big. That's a no, I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, again, so then I sound like I'm just whining and ranting all the time, yeah. but you don't, you know, see CNN, MSNBC, the news, they don't like explain this, say, look at the craziness of what's happening, right? It's all kind of muted, oh, terrible storm hit Canada, mm -hmm. oh, you know. Right. <sighs> Death of a thousand cuts. Right. And just, so just to, to, hammer this one more thing hurricane ian is currently progressing up the west coast of florida of florida right? mm -hmm. yeah, who knows what kind of damage i mean my own concern is that ian is going to be clever enough to take a right-hand turn go back into the atlantic and come visit boston because the it's the new world right just right. but anyway it's ian is now in the gulf of mexico but what's curious and this is a climate related thing is that it's slowing down yeah right just the way Harvey did a few years ago, sat over Houston for three days. Right. This storm is going to very slowly go up the coast, dump lots and lots of water, do enormous amount of damage. And that very slowness, my understanding that that is related to the sort of upper level winds and the steering currents that have been are less because of climate change. And so mm -hmm. again, you don't, you won't see that anywhere. You'll right. barely see it on the weather channel and man, yeah. Yeah. And if even if it doesn't come up the coast route, which is kind of the normal one, but maybe because of this, it'll take an interior, it'll start dissipating. But at some point in time, it'll gradually curve into New England. And how much rain will we have get left? We'll get something, but it'll be days before it gets here and brings some rain for sure. Not that we don't need it. We're still in a drought. We can use it. We need a long, gentle rain, not a yes, not long, 10 gentle in rain, an hour. Not 20 to 30 inches over 24 hours. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the weather is is just sort of an interesting sideline, and the weather keeps happening. And, yeah, you could you could spend every show talking about weather events, right? Mm -hmm. All 
all that. Right. But I guess the reason I bring these up is that people should listen to weather reports with a different ear, right? When they when you say, oh my goodness, terrible thing happened. One third of Pakistan is flooded, but no one says climate change, right? Mm -hmm. You have to say it to yourself. You have to say, right. hmm, I wonder if there's right. a connection there, right? Yep. Fires, fires, and droughts out west. I mean, you name it. Pick a spot in the world that Something hasn't been on. affected with one extreme or another, um, and you'll be hard pressed to find one that hasn't been, because it's just it's it's staggering. So that's why we're trying to make sense of climate. What we can do, and coming back to okay, we're on the roadmap. We passed some bills, and the work's in front of us. So can I, so, so let's come back to Massachusetts. We'll leave the Pakistan and uh, Nova Scotia uh, alone Aside for a little for while. A uh, in today's globe, there was an interesting uh, discussion that I think is climate related. Uh, although no one actually particularly said climate, but it is a climate related thing. Uh, and it's climate related because in Massachusetts transit, transportation and getting around from here to there is roughly one third of the carbon dioxide emissions in our state. Okay. Correct. Yeah. It's a which is a fairly big number. And and it's in contrast to other states. Like Massachusetts does not have that much carbon dioxide emission from agricultural stuff. Right? We don't have big we combined lost a lot pig, of farms. Pig farm. We don't right. We don't have I mean we're, around here it's it's most a third of it is transportation. Well there's an article in the paper this morning raising the idea that Post-COVID, automobile traffic is back big time. Mm -hmm. Mass bike yep. jammed up. Everything's jammed up, right? Just right. the way it was right. before. And people have probably heard this thing where if you build another lane, all it does is more people try and take the highway, right? So more cars. Highway, more cars, right? Induced demand by making that. So the solution proposed is not terrible. The solution proposed is to offer what's called congestion pricing. That is to say, the little meter in your car that you use, this smart smart pass. I guess you have a smart pass in your car. Right? Yeah, Most, easy easy pass. Easy pass, yeah, yes. easy pass. Most yeah. people have easy pass nowadays. Uh, and aside from the sort of uh, personal privacy thing of someone knowing where your car is all the time, you could use an easy pass to charge people for driving into downtown Boston or driving on Route 93 between seven and nine a.m. every day. Sure. Right? Kind of and offset some of the hours. Try and, and and basically, if you have to pay for it, then it's like a toll on the mass pike. You have to pay for it. You would avoid it, right? Mm -hmm. You would not be doing it quite so much. That is a classic market-based mechanism for controlling uh, congestion. Ought to be the love child of a well, the the poster for conservative politicians, right? So this is a way to pay for stuff. My own feeling is that such a thing is a good idea because the other thing is, you know, Mich Michelle Wu in Boston is closing down streets and they're putting in bike lanes, all kinds mm -hmm. of good stuff happening in Boston, right? Right. Um, the issue with congestion pricing, of course, is that it unfairly penalizes people of low income. Those who have no alternatives to make changes to their daily routes, right. which then gets into, I'd rather spend more time fixing the MBTA, which has a host of issues from a mass transit side point, and never mind electrifying what they already have in terms of buses and rail, et cetera. Absolutely. Start there. 
Absolutely. And then you can use the incentives to foster getting people to the MBTA, but you can't depend upon the MBTA today. So, so yes, absolutely right. The banker can spend four bucks a day driving down Route 93, no problem. The guy who's going to be a janitor in the same building, four bucks a day is a big hit for him, right? Sure. So unless, so then the article proposes, well, you know, as some sort of rebate for if you're low income, blah, blah, blah. Fine, fine. You may, maybe that's some in some ways just, but I agree with you, Steve. Like the first thing to do is to offer cheap, reliable, frequent mass transit, right, okay. as a way yeah. off the, and, and that opens up a whole enormous discussion about, you know, could you be better on an e-bike, right? Mm -hmm. Could you, do we need to build bike pathways? And the whole debacle of the orange line being shut for a month and, and you know, trains on fire and all this stuff is just is horrendous. And you say, mm -hmm. you know, if we're going to think about this stuff, if we're going to be proud of our city, you know, why can't we have a nice shiny subway system instead of like rusted stairs and stuff? And mm -hmm. why again? Because politicians, privatization, yada yada yada. Right. There's right. so much stuff behind it. It's not just incompetence. There's money there that people are. Uh, so yeah, so I'm yeah. with you. Let's well, take care of the you. other piece. Taking it back again to kind of more of a local Franklin and even regional, we have Gatra, which is an on-demand transportation service within Franklin. They've been making some changes, which we still need to work on getting communications out. So that is become instead of a scheduled route, it's kind of an on-demand service. So point to point in Franklin, it's a buck. Really? How many people know that? I didn't. Know I, didn't um, I did not know that. I mean, and, I could call up and 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 within some sort of like an Uber thing where they would come and get you and, and yeah, drop and that's you where off. it's sort of like an Uber thing. It, it it's not as demand dependent as mm -hmm. an Uber thing because there's less uh, buses, shuttle buses to right. do that. Right. Um, but right. the concept is the same, and it's an issue at least through the senior center because most of them you do have an eight hundred number to call. Um, or an app. And obviously, a lot of the seniors don't have the smartphones to use the app. Right. So there's that accessibility, never mind accessibility to transportation. And then, at least from what I've been hearing, you can call and schedule an appointment to get you to the doctors on time. But then when you get to the doctor, it may be, you know, another two hours or whatever to get you back. So there's less reliability there. So to a transportation issue, let's use some of that because we did have streetcars way back in the day, right? Um, and those, obviously, back in the day were like a nickel or a 10 cents to go from Franklin to Rentham and whatever. Something like that, since it's regional transportation, or the state's already funding the regional transportation, we need to come up with some other ways that can allow within Franklin, because especially from an accessibility standpoint, even a bike lane. Okay, well, a senior yeah, wouldn't necessarily yeah. ride a bike right. unless they've got a three-wheeled kind of supportable, you know, with the baskets and stuff. But I, I, they may I, not, I, not have the energy in order to do that as well. So I foresee the electric rickshaw pedaling up and down King Street. Right? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Until we get to the until we get to the on-demand and self-driving <laughs> electric vehicles, which maybe in our lifetime who knows <laughs> we do need something between now and then so 
It'd be a fascinating interview to talk to someone from Gatra because I, I guess I had not appreciated that they were at least offering that service, right? And you, yeah. Uh, um, but the yeah, I mean, I, just to stay with Franklin for a minute, I I know there are efforts to think about you know honest to God bike lanes on some of the major intersect and major streets, but sure. it wouldn't take too much here to have a. Uh, bike lanes on some of the major streets that would then feed into neighborhoods and you could safely get from one place to another. Yeah. And, so it's, and uh, bringing up the neighborhoods. So in the neighborhoods when we grew up and yes, we're aging ourselves, but in most of the neighborhoods when we were growing up as kids. So for me in the, or in the fifties and sixties, there was a neighborhood store, whether it was a meat market or a bread store, there were mm -hmm. neighborhood stores because of the way we're zoned today, that doesn't exist. So we do have an opportunity here in Franklin as part of that Franklin for all. They're looking at zoning. As an example, in the Charles River area, consider you know, a couple of houses, instead of getting sold, some developer buys them and puts in, uh, whether it's a, a beauty salon, a pizza parlor, some kind of service and food-oriented thing then people could walk to that as opposed to getting into the car and having to go to one of the stores that are in the major malls at either end of it and then replicate. We already have some of that in kind of the older neighborhoods along Lincoln Street with the Daisy Market, um, along, you know, Pond Street uh, near the, uh, what is it, the Beach Street intersection. There's a market off to mm -hmm. the side. Some of the older neighborhoods still have those neighborhood markets. But the newer ones, because they were zoned single uh, zoning, prohibited. I mean, you need, it seems to me that you, what you need is uh, um, have to have a business model where you can prohibit parking. There's no, I mean, nobody wants a bunch True. of parking and trash next to their house, right? There are two sides uh, of the coin, absolutely. And, and, yes. But, but, but yes. I mean, if you, did, if you could find a way, and it's, it's, it comes back to, um, you know, the, the, the capitalism, it talks about efficiency, right? The cheapest mm -hmm. price and, and whatnot. It's like you can't, I mean, you're paying for, I don't want to say this. You're paying for all that low price by having people that drive up and trash around and lights on all night, right? Whereas if you're willing to somehow pay more, I know that sounds like a privilege kind of thing, but I mean, you know, you pay an appropriate premium, say <laughs> an appropriate premium, right? To have a shop where you could walk to pick stuff up and there's not a blight on the neighborhood, right? right. It's not a 7 Eleven. So uh, again, it may it, have cost you 25 cents to walk to pay more for that, but then you've saved money on the gas going to the bigger store and your quality of life is better, right? right. I mean, and so it, it's a, I guess what I'm pitching is a different way to think about how these things run, mm -hmm. right? It's not all about cost cost convenience right it's about how do you live your life you know what, what sort of neighborhood do you want to live in and those are enormous questions right which I, i'm not pretending i have an answer to but you start thinking about what what because i've thought gee why i've, I've said i should start a service not unlike this peapod thing uh, out of the some of the supermarkets where they deliver food right but yep. if you had a had a had an electric <laughs> electric rickshaw bike where you pedal through a neighborhood and you had you know fresh food some milk some butter you could mm -hmm. you would sell it to people as you drive around kind that of a portable like really farmer's market yeah I mean, yeah again yeah. 
the business model is kind of kooky. I, and I'm not saying it's real that you could actually do it, but I mean, that's how cities worked a long time yes. ago. Yes. And, and again, again, not, not to go too far down this path, but I mean, the other question is density, right? All of those sort of business models are driven by having more people in smaller areas sure. and not everyone, everyone wants their quarter acre of heaven, right? Where, right. where so again, right. but yep. these are things that have to be discussed, right? You want to like at least broach the topic and say, mm -hmm. what do you think? And that's where at least the message is now, if you want to do something, you can on multiple fronts, clearly on the climate direct action side, on the electricity, make sure you're part of the municipal aggregation. And even in the zoning piece, you sound like well, zoning is hard. Well, zoning ha can have an impact in terms of our quality of life. Right. So consider participating in those discussions because it will it's a process. It will take time. The discussions are ongoing and they haven't been resolved yet. So there's still an opportunity. So. And that just just Steve, you know more than I about this. But remind me the part of that discussion revolves around a very real reasonable thing that says this should be housing in proximity to the to transit. mass transit, right? right? And and while we just we just complained about how MBTA doesn't work, right? So mm -hmm. MBTA has to work. I mean, yep. all this stuff has to happen together, right? Yep. But still, in all, that's a vision, right? Where you have good housing close to mat to to some sort of convenient transportation and facilities that don't require you to jump in your car and drive two miles to get to a, a big parking lot, right? right? And yep. it, those those visions are entertaining it. What what I find is that since there's an actual discussion happening in Franklin, it does give sort of grounding to the whole thing, right? It sort of brings it into a very real realistic place where you say, "Gee, you know, what does that mean for us? What mm -hmm. could we do?" Right. And that's a good discussion to be having. Absolutely. You know, and then I'll put it in a plug this weekend coming up. And assuming this will be out before then, it usually is. Harvest Festival, downtown Franklin. Walk Main Street. Look at the buildings. Those buildings, if heaven forbid, but if a fire happened to one of them, you could not rebuild that today with the existing zoning. Really? It's prohibited. So what do we want to do? If we want the downtown we have, what do we have to do to change those zoning so we could redo something that would still kind of look and feel like the downtown and oh by the way give us some maybe some more density and we can walk to the train station and yes the state still needs to fix the mbta <laughs> but at least things would start coming together and we can work on what we can do and to that extent being part of the discussions we can do that locally um which is one of the reasons why we're having this conversation so that we can get the ideas on this and then share it out and hopefully people hey did you listen to ted and steve what are they what's what, <laughs> this it, it's really i think it really is it, it's like the first time you hear something it sounds kooky right it's not uh, it's craziness but then it slowly it, 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 they talk about normalizing stuff right? mm -hmm. just having the discussion is not is not socialism it's not insanity it's not theft of your wages right? Right. it's a realistic discussion about what do we what does it mean to be in community what does it mean for us all to live together what does it mean for us to have 
well, your planet is maybe too big, but a, a, a local area where there's still trees, right, mm-hmm. that people can walk to, that we can all enjoy in common. Sure. I just yeah. great discussion. The world clearly is not perfect. And with a slight plug into another radio show called Tordom or Perfect Union, clearly we're in a work in progress. And on the climate front and on the zoning front, we've got things we can do as well. So <laughs> as we get towards that ideal and will we reach it in our lifetime, hopefully for our kids lifetime or grandkids lifetime, they'll be better off. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, uh, well, we've just spent a bunch of time on a Tuesday <laughs> and hopefully, well, I'm a little bit got more sense around climate. So I thank you for that. Hopefully the listeners will have as well. So thank you for taking time today to share your insights and expertise and links and knowledge. My pleasure. Passion. <laughs> now, these are great discussions to, uh, and dear listener, you probably, they're, they're somewhat open, open-ended and not clear where they're always going to go. <laughs> but I think that the, you know, raising these more speculative kinds of topics eventually begin to, crystallize into some kind of ideas about what's possible. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if you are a new listener and struggled and are still listening, thank you for doing so. And if you struggled, well, I think you'll learn that you just kind of fasten the seatbelts and go for the ride with us (laughs) and come back next time because we've got a few more to do. um, And we'll explore some additional topics because as we've discussed the roadmap, We'll take some time to to work, and the work is ahead of us. And one final reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.